welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns and uh, on the Blue Moon podcast, a Manchester City podcast released every Friday. Hi, I'm Jay Cray, my editor of the Eaglesbeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also presenter of the Meridian Sports Show on a local community radio station, Meridian FM. You can get us on uh, Twitter at the Meridian SS. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City uh, fan for the EPL Roundtable. Um, I've not been on for a while, so I'm just going to remind everyone who I am because I'm <laughs> fully aware that people might not have heard of me before. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight 88 Great. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, Richard, uh, Manchester City uh, scored a few goals, uh, which is obviously right, good. With- <laughs> uh, well, it's good for him, not so much for you. We'll get to that in a second. But I think the the big takeaway from this weekend has been that everyone around you has dropped points. Um Surely that's been pleasing. And how did you see that match uh, individually and then the larger circumstances surrounding it? Yeah, it's it's been a, a great weekend for us after not a great weekend the week before when we drew at Middlesbrough and then uh, I think all the results last weekend sort of went Liverpool's way and then they flipped back ours uh, this time around. So that's been, uh, it's been good as the season draws to a close and we're sort of trying to make uh, the absolute bare minimum of what was an acceptable achievement this year by getting top four um, is now massively in our own hands. Uh, in terms of the, the game, um, I thought City were, were very, very good right from the off. It was pretty much what we've been threatening to do in a lot of our home games this season, but never actually been able to do in turning possession and dominance of a game and chances into a, a pretty resounding win. Um <clears throat> Palace obviously came to defend and to be effective on the counter attack, and there were there was a couple of times where like, they did threaten to threaten us on the counter, but there was only one that they really turned into a, a big chance when City were one 0 up. Benteke had a, a good header, and Caballero was there with a great save, and he did what you have to be able to do as a, a keeper in a game like that. He was switched on for when his moment came. So, although it was resounding, had Palace scored that goal then we might have reverted to type as we've done all season and, and then sort of floundered for a bit and withdrawn into ourselves. So it did, it'll get overlooked in a 5-0 win, but Caballero really deserves a lot of credit for that because he um, he literally saved us at that point. Um, the timing of the first two goals was great because to, to score early on, um, obviously, when a team's come with a game plan, it disrupts that quite a lot and obviously is going to knock their confidence and um, you you. I mean, maybe Jay will, uh, will say a comment from his point of view, but I, I'd imagine when you're, you're an away fan coming to City and you concede an early goal, you, you probably naturally start to worry about how bad it could get. Um, and then again, the start of the second half to score so early on, it it felt like it was over at that point. And then it was just a case of going and, and converting chances. And even in that, we were still pretty wasteful at times. It was like we were giving uh, Wayne Hennessy... Um, practicing saving shots at his near post the amount of times that Sané cut inside and and hit towards that part of his goal um but it was just a, a very a very solid dominant performance in which we like I said we've been threatening to hit a team for four or five for quite some time and we, we never quite seem to do it uh individual performances I mean a lot of players were, were very very good I thought Sané was fantastic and it was good to see him just being good with the football again after really letting himself down last week with the diving at uh, Middlesbrough when I thought he, to be honest, he disgraced himself and uh, I don't want to see that from City players. Um, so it was good to see him just running at, uh, running at opponents again and, and, and tying defenders in knots because um, that's what he's about and it was brilliant. Uh, Vincent Company continues to be... He, he looks like he's, he's never missed a game after his injury problems with the last three years. He never quite confident with company because uh, you, you think a, a breakdown is probably just around the corner again because that has been how it's been for the last three years he gets a run of five six games if he's lucky and then the injury comes but at the moment he looks brand new um, and in terms of his mentality he's not pulling out of tackles he's not um, failing to extend himself when needed it's 
his head is obviously still there and not sort of damaged really by the injury problems that he's had, which is very reassuring. And when you see how how much better Otamendi is with company's leadership next to him, and then you sort of company's had that effect on every defender that he's played with at City, you start to think how different our season might have been if we could have kept him fit and had him next to uh, John Stones, because all the potential that lad's got, all he needs is a calm head next to him. So it, it does make you wonder how that could have been. Um, Gabriel Jesus, whilst not particularly stand out throughout the game, his work rate was exemplary. And for such a young lad, the, the, the hug that Guardiola gave when he substituted him off was particularly warm and, and congratulatory. He's clearly um, absolutely delighted with the, the work that he's putting in. And it's something that the rest of his teammates can learn from, the pressing from the front and everything. Like I say, he is an absolute example. And um, Silva, David Silva was the absolute standout. He was magnificent and fully earned the... Yet another stand innovation that he got when he was taken off. He, the way he gets between the lines of midfield and defence, and he's been doing it for six, seven years now, and nobody's yet worked out how to stop him. And at 31, he's, he sort of seems to be getting better at times. Um, he was he was sensational, and he got a, a good round of applause off the Palace fans as well when he was taken off. It was a, obviously a, an individual performance that was appreciated. And then the bigger picture, watching United drop points was fun. They're only uh, two points above six now, so sort of natural orders close to being restored, which is nice. Um, <laughs> and the yeah, watching um, Liverpool drop points at, at home when they were particularly unimpressive uh, against Southampton today, from what I saw of it, um, it's just swung back in our favour and meant that not only top four is in our own hands, but top three and avoiding that playoff for, for Champions League is, is now in our own hands. And with Leicester, West Brom and Watford to come as our last three games and two of those being at home, uh, if we don't seal it now, then we'll only have ourselves to blame. Although teams around the top four this season have been prone to shooting themselves in the foot, so certainly taking nothing for granted. Yeah, just uh, irritating everyone on this show, talking about Jay, talking about how you're going to beat Leicester with Jim. Uh, not great field awareness. <laughs> but, uh, I can't help the fixtures. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. Uh, with Manchester City, uh, Gabriel Jesus has obviously done very well. I'm just curious, what do you think that position will look like next season? I, as a neutral, am not particularly buying the whole Pep hates Aguero thing that weirdly is being floated around. Do you think that you'll keep him, Gabriel Jesus, 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 I don't know how we're pronouncing that, uh, <laughs> and Kalechi Ihanacho, which I weirdly can pronounce. Um, <laughs> do you think you'll, you'll stick with those three, maybe someone out on loan and bring another person in? Just how do you see that position shaping up next year? Um, the It's interesting. The Aguero one is really difficult. Um, clearly, at the start of the season... Um, and right up until that February, Aguero was not a Pep player, which is like people have their opinions on that. But you you have to be able to play within the system and the way that your manager wants you to play. And Aguero wasn't really doing that. So whilst you can always bank on him for a goal, no player is bigger than the team and all the rest of it. However, since Jesus came in and uh, and then got injured pretty quickly... Aguero has responded to that challenge. He's been he's been like a new player since uh, since the Monaco game at home when we won five three. He scored the city's second goal in that game and he got a bit of luck with it because it was spilled by the goalkeeper. Um, he, he really should have saved it. But that was with about half an hour left, and from that point on, it was like he suddenly got his confidence back um, and he, he works the channels and. Um, we talk about this quite a lot on, um, you know, City fans talk about it quite a lot, really. And I'm always reluctant to say that he's now more of a team player because he always has been a team player. But it's more, I suppose he's more of a conscious team player. He looks to bring his teammates into the game and, and works around the pitch and basically just in a different way that he used to. Um, so Pep doesn't hate him, clearly. They speak very highly of each other. And Guardiola's never struck me as somebody who's disingenuous with the way that he speaks to the press uh, and speaks about his players. So I believe that they have a good relationship. Um, and all the noises from City, Aguero and Pep, all the public comments have been that they all want uh, want Aguero to be at City next season. But it is the fitting him in that's the hard thing to do because Jesus is, um, is very, very talented and he's clearly the future of our attack. So then you're looking at, is Aguero going to be happy to be rotated? And probably not. So then it's, can they play together? And Pep is on record as saying that he can't play 
those two together with Sané and Sterling as traditional wingers. And I agree with him uh, because it would leave us. I mean, we're exposed to counterattacks anyway. And with that system, uh, would, we would be far more exposed to it. Um, so we'd be having a lot of rotation to make those two work. Ian Acho's a goner. Um, he's absolutely not a Guardiola player, which is a shame because he's a fantastically talented striker. Uh, but he, his work rate around the pitch is not, um, it's not what Guardiola was after. He drifts in and out of games. They pass him by. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I'd love to say he's a young player and you've got to give him time. But the nature of being a club that tries to challenge on four fronts a season is that you really need your players to be making an impression when they get the chance. And this year he hasn't done. The talk is that he was uh, in talks with Hoffenheim and that City will look to either do that as a loan deal or a sale with, uh, with a buyback option, which sounds pretty sensible to me because the talent is there. Um, but I don't think he, he really figures in a Guardiola team, which is a shame, but that's just the way of it. Uh, and so that leaves us with two strikers, which he can't really get by on. So then we have to bring in another attacking player who either adds more to his game than just being a striker or is happy to play third fiddle, I suppose, if that's a phrase. Uh, and you don't find many of those about who are happy to just come in and be rotated freely. Um, so I'd imagine we'll be looking at a Sanchez, uh, Alexis Sanchez type player who, yes, scores goals and, and yes, is an attacker, but has far, far more to the game than just being an out-and-out striker because it's the only way we can really have three out-and-out attacking players when you only play a system that, um, in a sort of traditional sense, only has one striker. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how you deal with that, especially next year, as you say, most likely going to be in the Champions League again. Uh, Jay, unfortunately, you were on the other side of that match. Um, <clears throat> things were looking very good for you. You had a big record against, uh, sorry, a good record against big clubs of late. Were you expecting more in this one? Indeed, yeah. Uh, should we just move on? Move on to the gym, if you like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with... Um, with everything Rich has said there, actually, uh, about the turning point in, in the game, obviously City getting an early goal wasn't ideal. I think it was within the you know, first second minute, so that obviously wasn't our game plan. But I think we were asking for trouble, really, because playing four fullbacks as we did in that game, and one of those fullbacks was really a recognised centre-back. Martin Kelly's been playing well at centre-back, but he's our fourth-choice centre-back at the moment. You know, with um, with Sacco out, Tomkins out, and Scott Dan out, it's it's ripped the heart out of our defence. It really has. And Sacco, with the influence he's had over the team since he's joined us, we've missed him big time. Um, the problem we have is Damien Delaney last week had such a nightmare against Burnley at home. He's probably our only recognised centre-back. Um, and Allardyce decided to drop him for this game purely, I think, for tactical reasons, because while Delaney is good in the air, he's a good centre-back, he's a good organiser, he's getting on a bit and he's, he hasn't got the pace. And against his City side, I don't think we had any problems air, from an aerial perspective other than uh, other than set pieces. Um, but obviously the first goal kind of came from that, a, a poor header from arguably our tallest defender on the pitch that day, uh, on, on Saturday. So, um, yeah, uh, the chance that we had that uh, Caballero tipped over from Benteke was the big chance, I think. If we'd have taken that, it could have been a different, a little bit of a different story because we were decent going forward. We just need to, we're a side that needs to learn that, you know, if you don't have a lot of possession, you need to take chances like that. Uh, I think Wilf had a had a good opportunity quite early on that he, he went to ground probably a little bit too easily in the penalty area. Had he got a touch on that ball, might have made Capolera have to make a, a, a good save. But I think on the whole, it was a very good City performance. You know, we turned up to City and, and City turned it on against us, unfortunately. And uh, it was against a, a Palace side, which was depleted, um, but not making excuses. Should have played far better. We lost the midfield. MacArthur and Punchin. Punchin had an awful game. He had an absolute shocker. Um, and Milijevic in the middle couldn't hold it together uh, without able support alongside him. And, and defence really was a bit of a shambles. Hennessy, again, shooting practice. He was making saves, which probably were simple saves. I think he was at fault for one of the goals, weak-wristed, um, as we know he is. Um, probably should it have been five, maybe not. But I think we probably asked for that. Bigger picture-wise, I don't know how many more chances we're going to have to, to stay up this season mathematically. Um, we go into what is now a huge game at home to Hull next Saturday. We just need a point from that game and we're mathematically safe. Um, whether we could do that, you know, we look back at the Burnley game last week. Burnley did a job on us big time at home. 
and uh, went away with their first away win of the season. It seems to happen if you're if you're having a goal drought or if you haven't scored for a while or haven't got a result for a while, come and play Palace. We'll we'll let you score or get a result. Um, But uh, yeah, it's a massive game next week. I mean, it could actually turn out to be the fact that Swansea, if Swansea lose to Sunderland, then we'll be okay by the time we play midday on Sunday. Um, Thankfully, Hull lost to Sunderland at the weekend, which was a huge result from our perspective and also Swansea's uh, down the bottom of the table. I still, I mean, a lot of fans say we shouldn't be down there, but the fact is we are. You know, we've had huge results against Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, and without those, we we would be in a lot bigger bother than we are. So we do have chances. I think if we lose next weekend, we still have a chance to start the weekend after. So um, while it's still in our own hands, there are still results that could go our way um, elsewhere. So it's a little bit uh, nervous at the moment because... We shouldn't really. We should have picked up points before now and made sure that it's not down to other people. But we have that chance next Sunday against Hull. Um, I think the more interesting thing will be what will affect teams more. Whether Palace losing five 0 at Man City will affect us, or will the whole defeat at home to Sunderland affect them more than you know our defeat? So it's difficult. It'd be interesting. We need to try and get one of those defenders back. I think for next weekend. I'm sure if not, then I think we'll have Delaney starting back in the middle because that just didn't work with the four uh, four fullbacks playing across the back line uh, mm. without one being you know one that would you know an organizer effectively and Hennessy um, isn't the best keeper when it comes to not having somebody in front of him who can organize he's not a keeper that's loud or uh, is confident behind a, a defense which um, isn't isn't as experienced as that that side that that back four was on Saturday. So yeah, we let ourselves down big time because our recent performances kind of haven't been quite that bad. Although, obviously, the Burnley game the week, weekend before um, did give us a bit of a concern because uh, yeah, going to City, you never know what you're going to get, and uh, it's uh, it's another seasonal spanking uh, for us from City. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, things uh, all of a sudden do look very interesting down at the bottom of the table for for a while there. <laughs> yeah. Everybody just assumed. It was going to be, well, everybody knew it was going to be Sunderland and Borough for quite some time now, but it looked like Swansea, just every week things were going against them. Then this week, kind of like City and the people around them, Swansea had an amazing weekend, um, beating Everton and having both Palace and Hull drop points. And it's made that Palace-Hull match so pivotal because you have a tough match the last week of the season as do Hull, who are going to play Tottenham. So, yeah, it, uh, as you said, if you get a draw, then you're, you can finish above them against them. Uh, so there is that element of having your own fate in your hands. Is that the way you'd rather have it? Well, it's an odd one because you know, the last couple of weeks we could have got something from games and we and we just haven't. Um, I wasn't particularly expecting an awful lot from the City game at the weekend, really, even though we've had luck against um, you know, the likes of Arsenal and that. But that was our strongest sides available. Um, I, we all knew that our back line was depleted. Um, and I think a lot of us thought, well, you know, it's a free hit, really, isn't it? Uh, going away to City with, uh, with the injuries that we have, and 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 we and we do have chances. You know, after that game, as it's proved, I think the biggest thing is that um, a lot of people say Sunderland were were dead and buried, and it seems clear that. Um, and I did mention this a couple of weeks ago, actually, that you know a team that yeah is actually fit, you know mathematically down plays with a bit of freedom, and I think that proves to be the point. So it'd be interesting to see how Swansea do at Sunderland next weekend, um, because obviously the pressure falls back on Swansea to go and get a result from a relegated side. Sunderland, that's their last home game uh, in the Premier League. So they will want to give their fans something to cheer about because they've not given them anything all season uh, other than the result of the weekend. So um, it's funny how football works. It's 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 compelling down at the bottom of the table. There's no doubt about it. And the way the fixtures work out is that, you know, we're playing Hull next Sunday in what will turn out to be probably, you know, if Hull beat us, then, yep, we'll have another chance um, the weekend after. Uh, if Swansea beat Sunderland, but um, there's so many permutations at the moment, it's ridiculous. But I think we just focus on getting a result in that game, whether it be, you know, stopping Hull at every cost or going out for the win, uh, whichever way Sam thinks that that's a, you know the, the way to do it. I think with our attacking talent, we've got we've got enough to beat Hull at home, no doubt about it. Um, and we should take advantage of what happened to them at the weekend and, and look at how Sunderland beat them. But I, I think we've got enough. But it's uh, I think at this stage of season. And with what's at stake, it's all a little bit about nerves, isn't it? Um, and and we've seen that already um, uh, all all across this weekend, really, in in in, uh, in the football pyramid. So um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be nervous. 
uh, it's going to be extremely loud at Sellers Park. I'll give it that much. You know, the fans won't uh, uh, won't be uh, any any quieter for this one. So, um, kind of cautiously looking forward to it. But um, I don't know. I think I'm probably a bit more optimistic than I have been in in, in recent times. We've been in a similar position. I think we know we've got the players to uh, to beat holes. So, yeah, fingers crossed. We come out at the other side. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Jim, it has been as you mentioned in your intro quite some time uh, since you've been on. Last time you, well, two times ago you were on, uh, everybody was mad about Ranieri, more mad about it than you were. Uh, then the time after that, you uh, had just gotten a decent result in the Champions League, and that was quite some time ago. So really, what's been happening over at Leicester since then? Uh, well, we're not in the Champions League anymore, which is a shame. That is, that uh, is correct. <laughs> well, we ended up going out to a team that have made two out of the last three finals and are very adept at getting the job done, um, even though they were roundly beaten by Real Madrid in the, the first leg of the semi-final. So doesn't look like it'll be a third uh, final in four years for them. But in other news, Leicester are now in the top half of the table, which is bananas. Um, and I hope everyone that lost their whatever over Claudio <laughs> Ranieri being sacked is now eating a large slice of humble pie. Um, granted, you know, as we said at the time, it's not it did kind of leave a bit of a sour taste the way it was done, but ultimately I think the decision has now been more than vindicated, not only in the Champions League, but in the, in the Premier League as well. Um, safety obviously assured mathematically uh, a couple of weeks ago, got to that kind of magical 40-point mark, and now we're just kicking on under Craig Shakespeare. And, you know, the next big question for us is how we go about the summer in terms of recruitment and, you know, appointing a permanent manager, because it's now very difficult given what Shakespeare's um, achieved in his kind of first eight, nine games in charge, um, not to give him the job full-time. But I think if you'd have gone back to that point where Ranieri was being sacked, I don't think that was really even an option that the owners would have contemplated because it was literally a stopgap um, until the end of the season when they probably would have chased a more kind of big-name manager, as we said at the time, Um the King Power brand will probably want someone who's a bit more marketable um, than Craig Shakespeare, who, despite what he's achieved on the sidelines, you know, is not the global appeal of someone like Claudio Ranieri. Ultimately, that was one of the reasons that we brought him in. The owners were kind of big fans of what he was doing at Chelsea and, you know, the fact that he's managed some of Europe's big clubs and he has experience in various competitions and stuff. Um, so that's going to be an interesting dynamic in the summer because... If you you know you back Shakespeare, you want to go all the way with him. You've got to give him the money to invest to to you know potentially bolster the squad um, and kick on from there. Or you've got to make a, another really tough decision. And you know because he wants the job full time, I'm sure he would say that he would happily step down or not happily, but he would step down if it came to it. But ultimately, I think he's he's shown what he's able to do with this group of players, um, and it's now in a really interesting position because. The owners have, have either got to back him or, you know, he. I don't think he'll want to step down and be a number two to someone else. Uh, plus the fact that if you do want to bring in like a big name um, marquee manager, as opposed to a marquee signing, I guess, then they're probably going to have their own backroom staff that they want to work with. So it's a really interesting setup at the moment. It's, but you know, it's proven a, a big talking point in the fan base and stuff. And obviously the results have been going fantastically well. Um, Saturday, Watford turned up and, to be honest, couldn't have been any more on the beach if they were in, you know, their flip-flops and T-shirts. Um, they just, you know, they phoned it. I think they're phoning it in at the moment. Um, and I think in stark contrast to us, you know, they could well be changing their manager in the summer, as is tradition now at Watford. Every 12 months, they'll they'll sack their manager almost For another Italian. Yeah, for another Italian. Maybe Claudio Ranieri. Um, yeah, wasn't he at so, one of their matches recently? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that stuff's bound to... To, um, to get recycled and stuff, given what he's done with Leicester. I'm sure that they will look at that and think, oh, maybe he could do something similar with Watford. And, you know, were were they to sack Mazzari, I would be surprised if Ranieri wasn't um, on a shortlist um, of managers to replace him because of what he's done with a club that really is, you know, not, a, yeah, probably not far off Leicester, um, you know, infrastructure-wise, or maybe a bit further forward, but ultimately budget-wise, not a million miles away, given the amount of Premier League money and stuff that's coming in. Obviously, it's a bit different now with the Champions League, extra cash and stuff. But, you know, in terms of flat rate TV money, we're probably not a million miles away from them. 
Um, and they've obviously got ambitions to, to to take Watford to a higher plane than perhaps just finishing inside, you know, that kind of eighth, twelfth bracket uh, where it looks like they'll finish this year um, based on their results. So that would be really interesting. Um, and they just, you know, I know obviously they've had a few issues with Deeney and stuff and he was on, he started on the bench, which I think would all, all just have given our defenders a massive boost going into that game. Um, Johan Benlewan and Robert Huth at centre-back. You know, when you see Troy Deeney, who, you know, is kind of that Jamie Vardy character in that he, he does polarise opinion, um, both on and off the field, um, given their kind of checkered pasts and stuff. But he's also a real pest, like up front. He's just, he doesn't give you a moment's peace. And he's kind of one of those players that you don't associate with just turning it in and towards the end of the season, just putting in a kind of five out of 10 performance because it is game week 35, game week 36, and they're just not bothered. They're thinking about sitting by the pool in Dubai in three or four weeks' time and what they're spend what new car they're going to get for the summer. Um, you know, so to see him on the bench was kind of good for us. And I think given what we've achieved at home under Shakespeare, especially the performances have been really, really good. And Watford just weren't at the races. We took the lead kind of 38 minutes, I think it was, 39. But it could have been a lot earlier. Herelio Gomez made a couple of absolute worldy saves from kind of deflections and stuff that were, were heading for the top corner. So it could have been a Manchester City, Crystal Palace-esque scoreline if we'd got an early goal. Um, as it was, we ended up winning 3-0, which you know I think was a perfectly fair result on the balance of the play. Um, Watford really didn't create too many chances. Casper wasn't uh, too too stressed about anything, I don't think. Um, the defence was was very very solid, although a Akaka up front didn't really offer much. So you know, <laughs> have a huge amount to do. It was good to see Mares back on the score sheet because um, it's been a while since he he um, pulled out his bag of tricks at a goal like that, and it's good. And Mark Albrighton was just outstanding uh, yesterday on on Saturday. Obviously, we record today, but it was just. He was he was a star of the show. Like he he is one of those players that will give you a hundred percent every game. You've got absolutely no doubt about his work rate, and it's incredible. He just gets up and down the wing so much, and he'll just cover every blade of grass. He'll swap over wings with Mares, so he'll kind of give numerous fullbacks rather than just one a torrid time. Um, and a lot of the time, I think his contribution gets overlooked because of the likes of Mares and Vardy. Um, who are a bit more kind of headline grabbing um, goal scoring players, but Mark Brighton's been a, a pivotal part of our side for three years now. And, you know, for a free transfer from Aston Villa, you know, who didn't want to pay him 30,000 pounds a week when he asked for a new contract, you know, that's probably up there with one of our best bits of business, you know, in the last few years together with Mares and N'Golo Kante, because He's been an ever-present, really, in our side. And he's, you know, he's keeping people like Damari Gray, who's really one of the most exciting um, wingers, you know, around at the moment. And he, he's keeping him on the sidelines. Um, so it's it's fantastic to see him, you know, get a goal and kind of cap a really kind of man-of-the-match-esque performance for me yesterday. Yeah, you did mention there the uh, managerial position. If you do get somebody new, would you try to hire somebody that would play the style that has brought you success over the last two years? Even since Shakespeare's come in, he's kind of returned to more of that counter-attacking as the main threat kind of style? Or do you think it's worth just kind of rebuilding from the ground up? Maybe this is a a short-term tactic that isn't going to continue to catch people by surprise. It's difficult because I think when it's executed properly, it's very difficult to play against um, in the sense that it's not just a stock 4-4-2. It's kind of a 4-4-2 with a a high continental press, you know, the kind of thing that you expect from a Liverpool side under Jurgen Klopp um, or, or a Manchester City side under Pep Guardiola, I guess. Um, you know, one of the main criticisms that people have levelled at, at Aguero now, rightly or wrongly, is that, he, you know, Guardiola wants him to press more from the front um, and lead that press um, from the highest possible position and put people under pressure on their first ball. Now, you know, that kind of thing has has been part of our game since the Pearson days. Um, and it, it kind of Ranieri took that on, and I think a lot of people are, uh, are quick to point out that he's basically just executed the same system as 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 Pearson did, and that's essentially what Shakespeare's gone back to. Um, I think with this group of players, as bad as it sounds, you kind of want to be careful how many changes wholesale you make to the way that they're playing. Um, it may well be that it was just a Ranieri thing, but 
you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if you brought in a manager who wanted to make wholesale changes and play a completely different way against the wishes of a team who've been doing very, very well playing a particular way under three different managers now um, and prove that they can do it. If you want to come in and completely rebuild from the ground up, you might meet some resistance on the training ground, which is, you know, is a bit of a weird thing to say because it's not necessarily something you want to think about. You'd like to think that new player, you know, players would give a new manager, you know, their all and be open to ideas and stuff. And maybe it was just the way that Ranieri went about it in terms of kind of a lack of preparation. And there's been kind of numerous stories coming out since he's been sacked about how we prepared for the Copenhagen away game in Champions League, playing the, the 4-4-2 and then two hours before the game with no training, no, you know, preparation. He just sat there and said, right, we're playing 3-5-2 and, and changed it completely, which threw everyone off their game. And I think kind of rubbed a few people up the wrong way saying, well, why weren't we practising this, you know, in the week? Why are we not preparing for this? If this is a reason, um, if there's a reason that you've done it to, to kind of exploit weakness that he sees, then that hadn't been explained to players. And these days, that is as much a part as, you know, you work on the training ground, I would imagine now, getting players to understand why you're playing a particular way um, and, and what the end result of that is and kind of all the scouting and stuff that goes into pre-match preparation. You've got to expect that, you know, the players would be able to to take that information in from an, an almost academic standpoint, as well as a, um, a, a kind of sporting one and getting it executed on the field. So I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it's, it'd be really interesting, actually, if someone came in and completely tried to, to scramble everything we've been doing recently, um, because I think, yeah, you, you have got a potential there for the players to just say, well, we don't want to play like that. And it, at the end of the day, that has already worked to get one manager sacked. Now, if you're a new manager coming in, do you want to risk that kind of backlash within the first 12 months of your job? Probably not. Um, but at the same time, if you're hired to do a job and you've got a particular system that you want to play, then so be it. I mean, I guess that would probably be, you know, one of the, the interview questions, if you like, when kind of looking at potential candidates, you'd have to say, well, how do you see the team setting up as it is currently? You know, um, if you wanted to make wholesale sale changes, how would you see that working with our current squad and, and what kind of additions would you have to make in the summer to allow that to happen? Um, I, I think ultimately it'll be a bit of a moot point because I think they'll have to give it to Shakespeare. It would be a, an overwhelmingly unpopular decision, I think, to get rid of him. Um, and it would probably be one that's only seen from a commercial standpoint um, as opposed to a, a team performance thing. And like, if you say you brought in someone like a Gus Hiddink or something, not that you'd necessarily be him because he probably wouldn't take a job for, for a long-term position. But if you did bring someone in, um, they'd immediately be compared to Shakespeare. And he may well finish the season with a ridiculous, you know, win record percentage. He could end the season with kind of 80% win record. Um so, you, and albeit that's only over 12, 13 games, but you've got to be really, really sure that you've got the right man for the long term of Leicester City if you're going to replace somebody who's done so well and gets on with the players so well and knows, you know, who's been there since the Pearson days and throughout the Pearson days. So, yeah, it's 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 a difficult one for the owners because I think ultimately if you started with a clean slate, um, you wouldn't give it to Shakespeare, but I'm not sure they've got any choice now, given uh, what, what's what gone on on the field. Man, I, I honestly didn't think you were going to say you think you'll stick with Shakespeare. I agree. I think it's easier to sell it. Yeah, we've got to. I, I think <laughs> the pitfalls of not sticking with him are such that the owner's hand will be forced. But I think it could turn into a bit of a Roberto Di Matteo situation at Chelsea where you have he, to give it to him in. and if he fails, he fails. Yeah, so I think he would be on an extremely short um, leash mm. to the sense that if, you know, similar to Demon Taylor this season after they did so well in Europe, that as soon as that becomes an issue and, you know, I think he got to like November or something um, before the, they gave him the boot. Mm. Um, so it could well be like that. I don't think it'll be quite as callous as that because, you know, for Leicester... The owners are very realistic, and I think the only reason they they did get rid of Ranieri is because there was a real there was a real worry that we were going to get relegated mm. um, this year. And you know, if Ranieri had us in twelfth or thirteenth position, and we were looking like we were going to easily, relatively easily, get to like a forty point mark, uh, we wouldn't have needed to be eighth or ninth or whatever, you know, and pushing on towards the European places. Um, I think that would have been fine, and they would have taken anything from kind of seventeenth upwards. Um, but at the time, you know, you, you can see he'd lost the dressing room. You can see that in the difference of the performances. So I think they'll be fairly um, 
they'll be fairly chilled out about it in terms of like what we're going to achieve. But ultimately, they they'll want him to kick on. I think next year um, after stabilising this year um, and and without the dis- you know not the distraction, but without the added pressure of the Champions League and stuff and rotating on a, a, a relatively small squad um, in terms of like talent and depth, then it could potentially be that you know next year. 15th, 16th after 30 games isn't good enough. Um, and it, it could well be in a situation where they do take the opportunity to bring a big name manager in, which, you know, wouldn't necessarily be a popular decision again. But, you know, that's looking nine, ten months down the line. So you'd have to see how the team were performing. Yeah. Um, for Tottenham, uh, things did not go particularly well at the start of the week. We obviously opened matches this quote-unquote weekend on the Friday. Um and uh, lost to West Ham, and that's that's two years in a row now, where a match against West Ham has largely derailed what was left of a title shot. Uh, last year we played West Ham, and uh, they rolled three at the back way before it was on vogue this season, um, and we just got out tactic in that one. Uh, in this match, we were definitely the better of the two teams, but uh, struggled again um, to defend on a big pitch, which has been our issue. Uh, when we've been playing at Wembley, it's been our issues. When we've played um, some of the other bigger clubs that just happen to have bigger pitches for some reason. I, I guess it makes sense in that we're pressing so much um, and trying to shut down lanes and angles and everything that if there's more space, literally, um, that you, you'd either get more tired out or to be less effective. But it's frustrating nonetheless that this continues to be a trend for us. Uh, and... Uh, you know, it it has ended whatever small glimmer of hope there was for us trying to pick up points. Of course, I say that recording Sunday night and watch Chelsea do something dumb like drop points against Borough or something. But um, <laughs> assuming everything goes as it quote-unquote should, uh, that has ended the title run. Although, I do want to talk some about this uh, bottling issue. L- listen, I understand that for fans, the only thing almost as fun as watching your team succeed is to watch other teams fail. I I understand that mentality. I am not a huge fan of it, and I don't often employ it myself, but I get it. Um, But this is not bottling a title challenge. We were never ahead in this race, much like Leicester last season. We had just won seven straight Premier League matches. We were the ones that were putting the pressure on them, and all of a sudden not being able to keep up that pace is not a failure. In any way. Uh, Sure, if you look on paper, we're second. West Ham were much further down the table. But if the big team always won, then, you know, Liverpool would have already secured the Champions League spot. Or won the title. Because they can only beat the big teams. Um, But yeah, was it a frustrating match? Yes. Kane had a chance fairly early on. Uh, It was parried right to him. And then he uh, shot it. Very hard, not so much with aim, but it was kicked away by Adrian, and that was probably the the best moment for us. It would have opened them up a lot more if they had had to come out to attack us to try to get back into the match. <clears throat> but as it was, it just didn't happen. We just kept knocking on the door, didn't find a way in, and that happens in football sometimes. Does it happen to us a lot? Uh, yeah, and that's because we don't have elite-level pace anywhere on the pitch outside of Kyle Walker, who had a Difficult performance, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, it is frustrating that we weren't able to continue the pace we were on. But now that it's happened, I mean, expecting us to win out, you know, we were on a seven-match win streak. We have three matches left. So, yeah, expecting to win ten straight just to keep pressure on on Chelsea, who had already built up such an incredible lead, um, was unrealistic. Would it have been terrific and dreamy and everything? Yeah, but... Uh, I I, uh, I think people that are taking this too harshly are kind of missing the mark a little bit. And, and that fan groups from other clubs uh, are also missing the point. Because if you're not a Chelsea fan, you're behind us in the table. So uh, I, I really am not super thrilled with how defensive I sound on this. Uh, but it was just a very strange day. Uh, especially over social media of the amount of people talking about how we had cracked under pressure again or how we'd bottled things again and I just do not feel that that's the case and I don't think many Tottenham fans would and I don't think that that is a defense mechanism I just think it's not true we were very far behind them in January and continued to close that gap up until Friday um anyway on to the Kyle Walker thing 
I think we got it on recording. I'm not sure. It may have been our fancy show or something. But um, when everybody was saying that, you know, Pochettino and Kyle Walker had had this huge falling out. And that is just clearly not the case. First of all, over the last 10 matches, he'd played on-off every other match. They have a word for that. It's rotation. Um, and we've had players that have had falling outs with Poch in the past. And they disappear from the team entirely. It happened to Adebayor. It happened to Kapu. It happened to Bentaleb. It happened to Townsend. We've seen what happens when a player falls out. Uh, and that is clearly not what has happened here. Will he leave this summer? Potentially. Could it be to Manchester City? I would not be surprised. They'd have the money and they need England players. Uh, homegrown to be precise. Because that's actually a pretty important line to draw. But... Um, I do not think he's had a fight with Pochettino. Do I think he's disappointed that he happened to miss a Champions League... Or Champions League, goodness. A um, uh, uh, FA Cup semifinal and the North London Derby. Obviously. What what kind of player would not want to be playing in a match like that? Especially one that's been at Tottenham as long as he has. Both of them being London Derbies. Of course he was disappointed not playing those. But to say he hasn't been given a fair shake and that it hasn't been an even rotation is missing the point. Also, Kieran Trippier offers us much more in attack. Even though Kyle Walker has the pace to unlock defenses that nobody else in our squad does, he does not do much with it. Kieran Trippier is probably the second best crosser of the ball at our club, and that obviously has inherent value when you have a striker with the heading ability of Harry Kane. We saw in the Chelsea match the heading ability of Del Ali as he continues to grow as a player. He's slowly adding that into his repertoire as well. And especially late in this match, we brought on Jansen. So of course you want to bring on Trippier to try to cross the ball in. Now, all of that having been said, Kyle Walker had a very bad match with all of this swirling around him. So, <clears throat> is there a kernel of truth in this? I think there absolutely is. He is. He would be insane to not be frustrated to have missed the matches he has. But I do not think there has been a quote-unquote falling out, because we've seen the evidence of what happens when there's a falling out. They just disappear forever. That has not happened. And he continues to be on this on-off schedule. Um, and this was obviously going to be the, the linchpin of that. If he had been dropped after all these rumors then maybe there's a little something more there. Um, but him putting in a bad performance is not the same as, his, as him being dropped. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. There have been reports that we now view Kieran Trippier as our first team right back. That's fine. If he had gotten back-to-back matches to fit him into the FA Cup, I would have bought into that narrative. But that's not what happened. It is literally on-off, on-off for now the last 11 matches. So I think everybody just needs to calm down about that. Uh, if he stays, terrific. He's been a Tottenham player incredibly long. I think he's the only remaining player from our Champions League team. And he was one of the young players that's listed alongside the Champions League senior squad. Um, so he's been there a very long time. He obviously cares about Tottenham a whole lot. Would I like to keep him? Yes. If we can't, though, we will make a lot of money off of a player that sometimes does not contribute uh, offensively as much as we need to considering the lack of pace elsewhere on the pitch. Yeah, that's all the Walker stuff that's been blown out of proportion. Now, so that was Friday. At the end of Friday, things did not look super great for us. You know, we lost the title chance. Obviously, we had a couple clubs sniffing around that top four. We were worried maybe we'll fall out of that second place slot. What if we have to do a play-in game? Uh, Nobody really wants to do that for those Champions League slots. Um, But then the rest of the weekend, kind of as Richard was saying, kind of went our way. With Liverpool dropping points, they cannot catch up to us. Um, Manchester City now the only club that can catch up to us for that second place slot Um, but if we get a single point our goal difference would see us through so that is all positive so there was a lot of negativity through a lot of this week with the Walker stuff and with the loss but as it turned out at the end of the weekend everything is should be just fine we should be able to lock up second uh, fairly successfully we will be playing Manchester United at home so that will be a big one, but it has become quite clear that their priority is now the Europa League uh, based on the teams that they've been rolling out in the Premier League. No Pogba today for them was obviously a big surprise. Playing a teenage center back at right back also, you could say, was a bit of a gamble. So uh, also they have, oh man, I need to find so much wood to knock on before this, but I think I saw a stat that Manchester United haven't scored away from home against the top six side this season. Um And we have the league's best defense, so you would assume that that will work in our favor. Um, But yeah, so all in all, not too bad of a weekend. It is unfortunate that we lost the small glimmer of hope of winning the title, but uh, all in all, not too bad. All right, now we are going to head into the uh, topic for the day, which is going to be about relegation clubs. Now, Jay, admittedly, uh, 
I had decided that this was going to be the topic before results super didn't go your way. Um, <laughs> so sorry about that. But uh, we're going to be discussing clubs that are in the relegation area with players that will probably be snatched up by Premier League teams next season. So uh, first of all, I guess we'll just go through and ask, which players do you think you'll stay up? And then as a secondary thought, are any of them players that you think your club would be interested in bringing on? Um, there's probably four that, that jump out at me. Um, so given that Swansea could go down, um, Sigurdsson there is probably the one that I would really expect to stay in the Premier League. And I'd be really interested to see at what level he could get back into the Premier League because he's been a, a shining light at a struggling team. Obviously, um, when he's played at Spurs before, that didn't work out long-term for him. Um, so I'd be really interested to see what level he could go back in, whether he'd have to make do with being at another team that battled relegation, whether he could be with uh, a, a more mid-table team, a more solid mid-table team, or maybe push a little bit higher with a maybe an Everton-type team um, who are looking to press on. Um, so, yeah, I'd, be, I'd like to see him back in the league because I think he's a good player. Um, at Middlesbrough, who are clearly gone, I'd love to see more of Traore. He's pretty tricky both times we've played them. I thought it was good when we played Middlesbrough at uh, at the Etihad. Um, he was basically their their one real danger in that game when they just sat back and, like a lot of teams do, tried to hit us on the counter. Uh, it was good. Um, the the away game he came on uh, the game at the Riverside he came on as a as a substitute um, and. He gave Otamendi all sorts of problems um, because his pace troubled him. So I'd love to see what he could do. And then there's there's two at Sunderland. Um, Defoe will come back in. Uh, it's, again, just to see what level he comes in at. And Jordan Pickford, is he is um, Premier League material, isn't he? As a young goalkeeper... Um, and a goalkeeper at a struggling team. I think it's it sometimes easy to get carried away because they get tested a lot more when you are uh, when you're facing a lot of shots, like Sunderland obviously have done. Um, and it's not always a proof of quality, but Pickford clearly does have something about him. And for somebody so young to have been thrust into such a difficult situation in a basically a terrible football team, uh, he's really stood head and shoulders above a lot of his a lot of his teammates. Uh, I know there's a lot of rumours this weekend linking in with Everton, but of the four mentioned, he's the player that I'd be very interested, uh, or that I'd like City to be interested in. Um, he obviously wouldn't, or you wouldn't expect him to come in as the number one keeper uh, to a team at the level we aspire to be at, um, and, and with his still relative inexperience, but he'd certainly be a good player to have around and um, I guess learning from, hopefully we'll have a quality number one in next year. But I suppose from his point of view, when he's now got the taste for first-team Premier League football, going to a team where he's more guaranteed games and uh, either helping them become a force or learning his trade that way before making another big move in five, six years, however long it'd be, um, it makes perfect sense for him. But he's he's a good player. Um, and really, of the, the teams that look to be going down, is the only one that I'd want City to be sniffing around. But it makes perfect sense for him to go to a level a little bit lower at this stage. Yeah, for me, I, I agree with what Richard said. Um, starting with Sunderland, Pickford is the standout player. Obviously, he's had a lot of practice this season. Um, and obviously, he highlights the fact that he is very good at what he does. So it'd be interesting to see how he evolves from here, whether he stays at Sunderland or whether he could be attracted by another club. Perhaps City might be might stunt his growth a little. No offense to City, but perhaps he needs first team football to uh, to to evolve into a top class keeper. So uh, a mid table Premier League side, you know, something that Palace aspire to be, you know, pushing to top ten. Um, and with our goalkeeper issues this season, um, it'd be good to have a bit of stability uh, between the sticks because uh, we've had issues with Steve Mandanda, who clearly isn't going to play for us again. Wayne Hennessy isn't giving us any confidence at the back or. Um, in recent weeks he's been been okay but um, I think there's issues there and I don't think um, Allardyce is that keen on him so so yeah for, from, a, from a Palace perspective Jordan Pickford would be a, a fantastic signing yeah, like I say he is young but um, he's shown so much promise already and been in the firing line and uh, proved his worth already um, Stan at Sunderland um, Jermaine Defoe 
there's no doubt that he's going to um, want to move on. What with, uh, is it the World Cup at the end of next season? So being called back into England squads, he's going to be wanting to think about that a little bit more. And it's not getting any younger, going to need football. So, you know, a really good choice would be Palace. You know, we need options going forward, uh, assuming we stay up, hoping we start. We will stay up, that's fine. Um, we're, we're talking uh, about this. So, um, talk <laughs> sounds like you just went through a um, lot, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, so, Defoe, yeah, that will be a nice addition for us, particularly as the Lloyd Remy signing, loan sign this season has been absolutely horrific. He's been injured every time. Um, he's made tried to make a comeback and uh, has not made any impact whatsoever when he's been fit at all. So um, that's been a real shame. So we've missed out on him. Um, and also, uh, Wickham's coming back for us. So that'd be like a new signing. But yeah, straying, away, straying off the point. Um, Gilfie Sigurds from Swansea, if they go down, great shout. Really great shout. Be interested to see what happens there because obviously he had that time at Spurs. Um, Kev, you'll probably be able to say a bit more on, on, on that point, but mm. you know, whether he would want to go to a top six side or whether he likes the limelight of being a you know a big fish in a small pond, effectively, which what he seems to strive with, you know, with Swansea. But it wouldn't surprise me if he's the kind of player that would stay with Swansea you know, for a season and try and help them get back up. He seems like that kind of character. Um, anyone else at Swansea? Possibly not. Lorente, very good striker. I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him at Chelsea next season. Uh, what would a Conte link? Um, uh, who else? Middlesbrough, Ben Gibson, centre-back. I've been really impressed with him this season. Um, centre-backs are um, very hard. Decent centre-backs in the top division are very hard to find. And Middlesbrough have been hard to score against this season, to be fair. Uh, I think he's been on a been one of the big reasons for that um and as for maybe touching on Hull um is it Harry Maguire centre-back at Hull very good yeah. defender as well yeah. so um two shouts for centre-backs is obviously a position that uh, from a Palace perspective has hindered us the last few weeks so uh yeah there's a few names there yeah so this is the downside of going last in the, <laughs> a lot of the players that you thought of and noted down when I saw the running order have already been uh, taken but they are very good shouts my four were um Sigurdsson, who I think Leicester was sniffing around uh, last summer. So that would be a potential move for us, I think, if they did go down. To be fair, even if they don't go down and we lost like Mares, which probably won't happen because he's not, I don't think he's anywhere near as, as close to, you know, attracting the right kind of club as he was this time last year when he was being linked with, you know, Europe's kind of elite clubs. Um, so unless someone wants to take a, a relatively big gamble, an expensive gamble on him, bearing in mind his new contract um then um i think sigurdsson might be a bit of a pipe dream on that front but it's certainly someone i can see leicester getting linked with again this summer um you know as richard said it would be interesting to see where he fits in um because he is the kind of shining light in that swansea team and you know it, it obviously didn't work out for him at spurs but it'd be interesting to see where his natural fit is i guess in the kind of running order of the prem um i don't think he'd be out of his depth at a kind of team like Everton or, or Leicester or, you know, a kind of a, a hopefully a, a relatively stable mid-table team that are looking upwards uh, rather than downwards over their shoulders like like Swansea have been um, this season. So that's that's a really good shout. Um, the only one that I would mention that, that hasn't been um, brought up so far is Sam Klukas at, at Hull. Um, he isn't particularly young. He's 26. So you kind of, I guess you know what you're getting in terms of... Um, of potential from him um, in the sense that he's not a kind of unknown quantity uh, like a lot of the other players that, you know, particularly the defenders like Ben Gibson and uh, that have been mentioned. But I would say that that he is, is a potential to stay in the league. I think he's been, you know, really good in a kind of relatively a poor Hull team this year. Uh, and I think regardless of, of how they're performing, he's always kind of been a player to me that's, you know, whenever I've seen them for a full 90 minutes has always looked kind of the real deal. Um, it's a bit well. It's not frustrating. This is one of those things with modern football. But he was at Leicester for about seven years when he was when he was a youngster, uh, and I think we let him go, um, thinking he would he wouldn't make it. And I think he went through an academy with I think it was Glenn Hoddle, um, who's got an academy in Spain where he takes players who've been released from um, from clubs you know in in the top flight or or from Championship or League One and, to, and told they won't make it. Um, and takes them out there and, and works on the, their skills at the age of 17, 18, and then tries to get them back into league football. And he's obviously worked his way up to Hull uh, and, and up to the Prem. And I think he, he hasn't looked out of place at all. So I think in terms of like a 
a kind of holding midfielder turning into a kind of a, a attacking force. He's looked fairly good this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone came in for him. Um, but arguably, he could be the kind of player that could boss it in the championship, I guess. Um, so it would be interesting to see if they, if they go out to, to to hold on to him. Um, if they do have, in, you know, have ambitions of doing a kind of a Newcastle and and blasting their way back out of the championship as expensive as that might be. Um, I don't know how keen their owners will be to do that. I think they're much more likely to, to end up settling in a division like an Aston Villa um, rather than going all out to, to go back up again, given their um, their ownership situation and stuff. But if that changes, maybe he's one of those key players that they want to hold on to. Yeah, um, I, I think he could definitely do a job somewhere in the in the, in the the lower half of the Prem. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone came in for him in the summer. All right, that'll bring us into Player Watch, where we're going to talk about a player who impressed and one who disappointed in our most recent matches. Uh, we'll lead in with you here, Richard. Uh, impressed would be... Um, it'd be hard, really, to pick out anyone uh, more than David Silva, who obviously I've already got on about, but I could go on and on and on about forever. Um, that was his 200th Premier League start for City. Um, it was his 50th goal for us. He, he brought up his... 300th game in total uh, a few weeks ago and as I said he just I remember a, a City fan once saying um, and I can't remember it is unfortunately to give them credit but a, a City fan once said to me that Silva shouldn't be a good player like he's, he's tiny he's one-footed he can't finish very often and yet he's one of the best players in the world. Like, everything to look at him says he shouldn't be a Premier League footballer. And yet he's just magnificent. And um, Saturday was just... It was another level from him, really. And it's no surprise or no coincidence that we looked a lot more fluid than we have done in, in the last couple of games than we did in the FA Cup semi-final when he went off after, I think it was around 10 minutes. Um, we offered very little creatively against United a few weeks ago. Um, and then suddenly Silva comes back in and it's all there again. So I, I could never speak highly enough of him. I think he's widely regarded now uh, by sort of all generations of, of our fan base is probably the best player we've ever had. And as he gets older, um, I just sort of have to still pinch myself that we're lucky to be to have this guy in our team because it's a privilege to go and watch him. And I suppose with every passing season, you, you take it in a little bit more because he's not going to be around forever. Um, Guardiola raves about him, uh, and rightly so. And he, he feels... It's a strange thing because everybody knows how good he is and yet he still sort of feels underrated. Um, but he's just a, an incredible footballer. Aside from him, it was good to see Bruyne back in form. I thought he, he had a really good game and, and he, he was rewarded with uh, a pretty good goal. Um, it's sort of not spoken about maybe as, as widely as it could be, but he's not had a great season, De Bruyne. And he's, he's outrageously talented um, and everybody sees that. But he, he's not really... Uh, backed it up as much as we'd have expected this year. So I hope that he would have kicked on from a good first season. When the truth is, the last three months, he's, we've carried him a little bit and he's at times he's looked exhausted because he's clearly one of the first names on the team sheet and he has looked tired. Um, but I know it's sort of people get a bit blinded by his, his assist ratings and stuff and he, he does create well. Um, but he's he's just not offered as much as as we'd hope, and and it does get mentioned. You hear you hear it at the Etihad, and it, this is by no means to absolutely slate the guy because I I wouldn't do that. He's, he's too good for it. But Saturday was more in line with what he should be doing and making good of the talent that he has. So the hope has to be that these last three games he puts in a few more performances like that, and then we can really kick on next year when hopefully with a team more in line with what Guardiola wants. Um, the, a team that will, I suppose, um, I suppose benefit more from a creative player if we're, if we're a bit more potent, I suppose. Uh, but, but yeah, he, he stepped up from, from a difficult couple of months. Uh, he, he really, I thought he shone on Saturday, so it was good to see because we all know what he can do. OK, for Palace, um, there's, a, there's quite a few players disappointed, the whole back line, but it, it, was, it was a mess anyway. Um, I think... Our biggest problem was we we lost the midfield quite early on, and um, MacArthur and, and Punchin had probably uh, their worst games. I've seen for Palace um, chasing shadows a little bit. So um, for me, Punchin was um, 
you know, he's been, he's been made captain this uh, latter part of the season since Allardyce has come in. He, and he's performed really well with the armband, but this time, yeah, it's a lot passed him by and uh, it wasn't up to his usual standards. So um, it's probably quite a few players I could pick out as uh, as the most disappointed one, but I'll go for punching in this one. The one that impressed, not many, but I'm probably in the midfield again, Luka Milijevic. He had a bad game against Burnley um, last weekend. His two mistakes led to the Burnley goals. But on Saturday, he, he probably was the only only player in the middle which kind of tried to hold things together. And he couldn't do it on his own, but I think he uh, performed quite well and tried to break up play as much as possible. And, you know, it was, it, it was a bit like, you know, it's difficult to turn any sort of tide on, on Saturday at all because, uh, you know, it wasn't really a team effort. But I think if I was going to pick one that, that impressed, other than Benteke and Wilf kept on working and, and were working on scraps really um, throughout the game as they, they were kind of trying to find a way back into the game for us. But it, it had gone and uh, and Luca just carried on doing what uh, what we've seen him do for the majority of um, his time at the club so far. And he's been really impressive. So I'll go with him. Uh, for Leicester... It's, it's, yeah, I've kind of got the reverse situation of Jay, really. It's quite difficult to find someone that is disappointed in like a comprehensive 3 0 victory. I suppose it's a kind of good problem to have. Um, but I would probably have to say, I feel like I slag him off quite a lot on this podcast. So people are going to get the wrong impression about how I feel about Shinji, but he wasn't brilliant at the weekend. Um, he, I feel like he's just not quite at that level. And I feel like that's one of the positions that's really open for a replacement this year, like that second striker um, playing with Vardy. This, uh, and, but the problem is that we've tried the big men up front in terms of Soleimani or Lesso Ujoa this year because he's spent most of the season kicking off about not getting a pay rise. But um, Soleimani hasn't really been fit enough um, to, to kind of make that second striker role his own. And Shinji kind of seems to bring the best out of Vardy um, in terms of his work rate and stuff. Um, so he does have positives and I don't want people to think that I'm just completely laying into him every week, but I feel like he isn't nearly strong enough on the ball to to um, to hold down that position any longer. But then I said that this time last year and he's been there for most of the season, so it shows what I know. Um, but he, he gets knocked off the ball so easily by defenders that aren't even that big. Um, and he's like Bambi on ice in terms of his balance and stuff. A lot of the time, he his finishing isn't great. He hasn't got a lot of goals for us, in, you know, in any of the seasons that he's played. So to hold down that second striker role, I kind of think is impressive, really, um, given his um, his lack of goals. Um, it might well be the lack of a better option, really, because Musa and, and Silamani, as I said, haven't really hit hit anything like the heights that their transfer fees suggested. Um, so he'd probably be my one. But again, it's caveated with the sense that. It's very difficult to criticise a player in a in a three 0 win. Um, Mark Albrighton gets man of the match for me, as I, I kind of I've eulogised about him already um, for for five minutes. So I won't go into to detail, repeat myself too much. Um, I just feel like he really showed his true value to the squad um, on Saturday, and it's something that gets overlooked quite a lot in terms of his, you know, not just his crossing, and he is is the best crosser of the ball that we've got by a country mile. Um, so in terms of his delivery. Uh, for other players, but also his work rate is fantastic. Um, he'll always do a job, whether he's being deployed as a, an out-and-out winger, um, or you know sometimes if if we if we do switch to a, a three-five-two with wing backs as we have done this year, he's always been kind of adept at doing his defensive duties as well um, and dropping in at fullback. Um, so he's kind of an all-rounder and kind of a bit of an unsung hero for Leicester, I think. So Albrighton gets my vote on that front. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, uh, the opposite, opposite problem again of <laughs> who impressed in a disappointing 1-0 loss to West Ham. Um, I'll, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll take that option of talking about somebody from the other team. Manuel Lanzini was clearly their only, but clearly their best threat, and we did not adequately deal with that. And you would have expected with Wanyama and Dyer that one of them could have just handled it. Um, but as I said at the beginning of the season, the issue with those two playing alongside of each other is they largely get in each other's way. I legitimately feel like if we played with 10 men with one of them as a defensive midfielder, we'd have a better chance than with both of them. Um, just because they just, man, it just does not work really as a pairing. Um, uh, so yeah, man, Lanzini very much impressed on the other side. For disappointed, I'm going to go with uh, Della Ali, who in this kind of match tends to thrive, tends to kind of be our wild card. And just didn't do much. He did have one chance early on, but then pretty much just sulked, got into a few tiffs, uh, 
in and around the pitch, and that's always when you can tell he's not playing well. He telegraphs it so much because it's when he starts getting obstinate uh, with opponents again um, and referees and stuff. So uh, hopefully he can uh, iron that out. Obviously, huge match against United at the weekend. Um, but yeah, I'll say Lanzini impressed for me for West Ham. I'll be disappointed for us at Tottenham. All right, and I said we'd do previews, but we are out of time, unfortunately. So, folks, why don't you just tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns, and on the Blooming Podcast, a uh, weekly Manchester City podcast. We have our end of season live show coming up soon with an as yet unconfirmed former City player. Um, that's released every Friday and is on Twitter at Blooming Podcast. And I write two articles a week about City for Yahoo Sport UK. Yeah, hi, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of The Eagles Beat. You can get us on Twitter at The Eagles Beat. Uh, my own personal Twitter is at JD Eagle. And I'm also presenter of a local community radio sports show, the Meridian Sports Show. You can get online or if you're in the area, then tune in to 107 FM. You can get us on Twitter at The Meridian SS. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Jim. I am the uh, gaming content manager for a company called Perform, which many of you probably won't know about, but we own a lot of uh, big football-related sports brands like Opta and Goal.com and Soccerway.com as well. So if you're interested in uh, sports, betting on sport particularly, but also fantasy as well, where we've got Kev giving us his uh, fantasy picks on a weekly basis um, for Goal.com's game, then I suggest you head over there and, and read some of the stuff, if that sounds like it might be up your street. And it should, because as he said, I write over there. So always go check out Goal.com. We're under the gaming tab, of course. Um, I am at Kevroff on Twitter, obviously host of this show. I also host the FPL Roundtable. Um, and also the uh, DFS uh, Premier League videos for VIPbet.com, so be sure to check all those out. I also write for Jay when uh, I can. Unfortunately, not as much as I used to, but hopefully we'll be able to get that going again. Um, But huge thanks to all of you for coming on. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.